This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian versus Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Nah, g'day, Adam. How are you going? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Changing it up. Keeping yeah. me on my toes. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going okay, although uh, COVID-19 has finally hit my house, so we're in mm. isolation. Oh. Um, only my wife, Anna, has it though. So the rest of us are doing our best to avoid catching it. And people called me crazy when I built the COVID dungeon last year, but now <laughs> not so silly, is it? Uh, <laughs> she'll be out soon. Uh, anyway, um, big thank you to everyone out there for all your emails and messages. Keep them coming. CVE at equitymates.com or get us on socials at CVE podcast. Now, Thomas, we're recording this on Monday the 28th of March. The federal budget is happening tomorrow the 29th of March and this episode will be reaching your ears no earlier than Wednesday the 30th of March. So rather than having to listen to a bunch of budget predictions that have already been proven wrong, uh, we're going to completely ignore the budget this week and we'll provide some some I don't know what would we call it. I don't want to say in-depth budget analysis because that's that's just over-promising. We'll provide a cursory look at the budget uh, <laughs> next week. Although, keep your ears peeled because we may have a little budget surprise in store. So that's all I can say at this point. I'm not giving anything else away. Uh, anyway, massive show coming up. And Australia's answer to Elon Musk's dad, Andrew Twiggy Forrest, has announced he's going to build a train using Formula One technology We've got a rental crisis on our hands. We know it's hard these days for young people to be able to buy a house uh, in case that wasn't bad enough news. Now it's just as hard to find one to rent. And consumer versus business confidence. We've got some business confidence data. And despite the doom and gloom, businesses are up and about and feeling confident. All they need now is consumers to share their optimism and it'll be happy days. But first, it's time to check in on the ASX share market trading game. We hope you've been playing along at home. Uh, it's still not too late to join, in fact. If you'd like to, to jump on board, you can get 50 grand of virtual money to, to use in the ASX share market in any way you see, you, you see fit. See if you can turn some sweet profit. Thomas and I have been at it for a while now. And to be honest, it feels a lot like when I 
take one of the kids $2 coins and give them two $1 coins and they're stoked because now they have two monies. Um, <laughs> that's how I feel this week when my virtual portfolio finally made it back to even. <laughs> I'm celebrating uh, that I'm now in the green. Thomas, how are you tracking? Yeah, I'm not quite there yet. I'm still $500 in the red. Ooh. Yeah. Um, Another way of phrasing that perhaps is that, hey, Adam, you're winning. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I'm green, baby. I am, I am $326.20 in the green, oh, pure wow. profit. <laughs> wow, look at us. I think what's most disappointing about my portfolio is that I'm being easily outpaced by the ASX 200. So uh, I, there's a view there, that there's a chart that... that sh- they show you inside the game dashboard mm. and the, the ASX 200 is up over $52,000 for the same time period. Uh, I am just scraping over the $50,000 mark after, uh. you know, putting some thought into it, it's fair to say. <laughs> Thoughts a stretch. <laughs> it's good that it's, it's called the game and it is a bit of a game. Like it is, it's over a short time horizon. So you're not investing like you probably would if you're, you know, over the long horizon or playing with your mm. own money necessarily. And if you look at the, the top players, so Morgo58, he's, I'm presuming that's a he might be a she, I've got no idea. And they're number one right now. Their portfolio values is $62,300. Ooh. So, yeah, up over over 20%. So they're, they're mm. crushing it. There's quite a few up around that mark. There's a we look at second here. We've got Jagernaut or Jaconaut, I think that is. Mm. Yeah, sixty one thousand five hundred. So that's 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 the running. That's where the Peloton is placed. <laughs> right Peloton, ironically, not a stock you can buy on the ASX. No. Um. <laughs> Interesting though, those two. So the the top ones there, they they've got sort of, seem to be playing different strategies. Morgos is more looks like maybe. Bit of a day trader. He's look maybe he's playing some. He's doing some technical analysis. He's in and out of mm. a few stocks. Got a few sort of resource stocks. A few biopharma. Sort of small caps that are going to you know have that potential to pop. And he's picked a few winners and that and they've or she's picked a few winners and they've popped pretty well. So they're mm. doing pretty well. But Jake Anort's sort of just stuck with again. He's got a bit of diversity. Got some got some minerals and resources in there, but also some data and some fintech plays. Just buying and holding, just gone all in. He's fully, mm. fully deployed. Yeah, coming up Trump so well. So interesting. Like the two different strategies there that are that are at the top of the top of the food chain at the moment. Interesting that didn't go with the. N- neither of them have gone with the uh, investing in sporting sponsorship strategy, which mm. uh, is working so well for me. Although I did branch out. I read some information the other day that suggested that that March was a very popular time for babies to be born. So oh. I bought up some baby bunting, um, mm. which is eighty dollars in the green. So hey. uh, I think that's all. I think that just shows you the value of of doing your own research and <laughs> and, <laughs> and analysis. Yeah. Although that being said, gold and my which is a, a a gold ETF and GDX, which is another gold ETF, are oh, both. Yeah down heavily um, right you diversified then by got two <laughs> gold ETFs I did because I didn't I I knew I didn't understand what either of them did and so I thought I want maximum gold coverage 
So I went, I, I, I hedged, I hedged gold with gold. All right, Thomas, I heard Andrew Forrest of Fortescue Metals Group fame plans to build a train with an F1 motor in it. Mm. Immediately I'm calling bullshit. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, it's not quite that. Um, yeah, there's a little more nuance to the story there. Yeah, so no, he, right. he wants to build a train and he's engaging a Formula One engineering team to build the engine and the, or the, the power system for the train. But the, the thing mm. is what's kind of interesting about this train, he's calling it the infinity train. <laughs> to infinity. Yeah. Classy. <laughs> to infinity and beyond? Is that yeah. where it's going? Yeah. No, it's just going down mm. the road a bit from, from, the, from the mine. <laughs> he's going to roll it down a hill. <laughs> he's going to roll it down a hill. No, right. so he's calling the infinity train because the idea is that he's going to load it up at the mine, load it full of iron ore. It's a three-kilometre-long train. It's a big train. Load it full of iron ore and then mm. roll it down the hill to the port at Pilbara. Right. And then on the way, all of the braking energy that the that's applied to keep the train from going too fast, that mm. gets captured and put into a battery that once right. the, the train has unloaded at, at the port, the battery then drives the empty train back up the hill, back to the mine. Yeah, right. Well, that makes more sense. So mm. he's not ripping the motor out of, a, out of an F1 car and trying no. to power a three kilometre long train. No. Well, that's good. That he, has, he has engaged Williams Advanced Engineering. So they're a British mm. company based in Oxfordshire. So actually the, the head engineer is, is actually a guy named someone Williams. So it's a right. nice family company. Well, Frank company. Williams was the, the famous guy who, uh-huh. who ran Williams F1. Right. But they've been, they've been stone motherless last for like the last three years. <laughs> oh, really? I'm not sure that's who I'd be hitching my train to. <laughs> what's he, he going to do next, get Daniel Ricciardo to drive it? <laughs> so they, Williams Advanced Engineering was behind Formula E, which was like a, must be like a division of Formula Racing. Is it? Like, is that how it works? Yeah, it is. So... Um, I'm glad that we've brought you in for the expert, expert <laughs> view on this story. Formula E is like the formula, um, is the electric version. They use electric uh, cars in Formula E. So Formula One still runs on petrol. Um, right. Well, and, uh, they, they, they're working on their, on their blend. It's a special blend now of petrol. But, yeah, Formula E is the fully electric version of Formula One mm-hmm. racing cars. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So anyway, so apparently those cars, or even form, let's say a Formula One introduced kinetic energy recovery systems so curves mm. but back yep. in 2009 so formula one's been doing that that's not formula mm. e that's formula one yeah that's for, yeah formula one started curves yeah ages yeah ago. right that's um, pretty cool and so and and you see that that technology is in like a lot of cars now like i think yeah. a lot of the like the your, your toyota priuses and electric cars yeah. um, our, our, have our, those our, motors already yeah our nissan leaf does it yeah yeah. Do you yeah. ship iron ore with your <laughs> with your Nissan Leaf? Because <laughs> that's what he's suggesting. Because, like, I mean, because driving a Nissan Leaf around town in Mullumbimby is one thing, but shipping shipping tons of iron ore in a mm. three kilometre long train mm. seems like a whole nother thing altogether. Yeah, the boot space is surprisingly large, though. <laughs> in, a, in a Leaf. <laughs> I saw that he, he reckons he's going to save 100 million litres of diesel mm. per year, 100 million litres, mm. and, and that the energy that they're going to make from 
trying to slow this three kilometre long train down is going to be more than enough energy to power the train back up the hill. Mm. The reporter actually asked him, they said, like talking about Andrew Forrest, they said, do you, do you really think um, you could make something like that work? And Forrest was quoted as saying, I think I can, I think I can, <laughs> I think I can. <laughs> You gotta love this guy though. He's the he's the closest thing. I said the closest thing we've got to Australia to Elon Musk's dad, um, just because <laughs> of the age difference. He's got a bit of Elon Musk going for him now. Like he's this he's a, he's Andrew a Forrest. He's created. A yeah, yeah. He's got Fortescue Future Industries, um, mm. where he's like trying to sort out green hydrogen. Mm. He's buying F one teams to build trains for him. Mm. Um, I think I saw yeah. something the other day. He partnered up with one of the big airline manufacturers as well. Yeah, he's got a lot of green, yeah, net zero transport plays happening, yeah, trucks, ships, yeah. planes and trains. Yeah, he's got, he's he's going for it. Yeah, I mean, it's, in, it's interesting because for Fortescue investors because they're like going like, oh, my God, is this going to get into everything? Like are these mm. all going to play? Like sure, let's save the planet, that's awesome, but like can't just sort of throw money around willy-nilly and get all these things going. But, mm. you know, Tesla's kind of proved that model a bit like, You've got a lot of cash on hand to work with. You know, some of these plays start to come off and he starts getting a bit of momentum. I think it does start to pull in a lot of cool factor. You start, you know, that's Mm. that's one thing I was thinking about this. Like, does it really need to be an F1 team, engineering team to build this train? Like, surely there are other engineering teams. But, like, why not? An (laughs) F1 team, that sounds really cool. Like, it's got that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I I could kind of see Fortescue... And Twiggy being kind of, yeah, being the next Tesla or like the Aussie battler version of Tesla and Elon Musk. You got to wonder though where where RM Williams' boots fits into it because <laughs> he, 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 bought, he bought that as well just, yeah. just prior to launching into some next-gen um, electric trains, <laughs> he bought a leather boot-making company. <laughs> so maybe it's just a... I don't know, it's just a hedge in case his in case his future future industries company doesn't go so well. We just um, resort yeah. to boots. Yeah, back to um, the future. Boots on the ground. <laughs> All right, we'll pause there. We'll take a quick word from our sponsors and be back with more comedian versus economist right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. Don't forget you can send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or get us on Facebook and Instagram at CVE Podcast. Thomas. Are we now officially in a rental crisis? 
Yeah, I think I think we are. I think we can definitely say that nationally we are in a rental crisis. Right. There's no official definition of rental crisis, but it's pretty <laughs> pretty clear we're there. I think. Yeah. So. The key thing is there's sort of two parts of this. One is that the national vacancy rate has fallen to just 1.2%. So what that means Mm. is of the available rental stock, right now only 1.2% is available for rent. What does it normally sit at? It fluctuates a bit. The rule of thumb that I I work with is 3%. So a balanced market is 3%. At at a 3% vacancy rate, that sort of just captures natural churn in the rental market. And mm. you don't have price pressures. You don't have increases in rents at 3%. So 1.2% is very low. And then it might get up to, you know, in Perth back in 2016, it was up around 5, 5.5%. Mm. That's reasonably high. And that was that was connected with falling rental prices then. Yeah, so 1.2% is is crazy tight. But when you break it down, you've got Sydney and Melbourne at 2, Sydney at 2, Melbourne at 2.3%, um, mm. largely around the, their high-rise sector. But then all of the other capitals were under 1%. Brisbane's at 0.9, Perth at 0.6, Adelaide 0.4, Canberra 0.5, Darwin 0.7, Hobart 0.3. So like they're they're great. Yeah, just got you there. Unlucky. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Adelaide, I understand. It's the greatest city in Australia. Mm. People are finally (laughs) realising that. Yeah. And also the more we get the message out there, then the more chance my house rises in value. Yeah, so they're, they're crazy low numbers. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're super tight. And that's just the capital cities. I mean, you get down to some of the regions, it's, it's just as tight. And that mm. then translates into when you have a rental market that tight, you get um, increases in rents. You have that sort of competitive, right. competitive pressure and that's pushing up rents. And rents are, gr- are growing at like I think 8.7% annually now. It's like a strong, almost 12% higher than they were pre-COVID. So that's a, that's a strong gain. It's, uh, SQM research is expecting 10% this year. So they reckon we're looking at the largest increases in rent since 1970. So I've got a question on that. Mm. Is that in line with the growth of house prices? Uh, n- yes and no. Like the in- reason I the reason I ask, and I'll give you a little mm. bit of time to answer. So the reason I ask is is uh, Raj Beer has sent us an email, cve mm. at equitymates.com, and he says, "Great job. I have a question. Once upon a time, Thomas said that's you, Thomas mm. oh, yeah. uh, said that high rents cause house prices to go up, but high house prices does not convert into high rents." They're driven by supply and demand. Has this theory been proven in real world or written by some random amateur economist sitting in his slash her man cave slash woman cave? Because what he's seeing is rents uh, are following the same trajectory and growth as house prices. So, Thomas, are Mm. you some amateur economist sitting in your man cave? Yes. Wild claims. Uh, Yes, but (laughs) in this case, they're they're, they're accurate. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he was accusing you, by the way. I think he was just maybe calling out some other economists. <laughs> Thank you for your email, though, Raz. Really appreciate it. Um, so, yeah. yeah, so are they are they tracking the same? Or I guess, well, are they? And if they are, then are they? Is it related? Or no? Well, I mean, yes and no. Yes, they're moving in the same direction, which is up. But that's sort mm. of a binary question. No, they're not moving by the same quantum. So, house prices are growing like close to 20%, we're probably looking at about 20 to 25% up on pre-COVID levels across the country now. 
we're talking about 12% for rent. So it's a different different scale there. So it's, but the, mm. point, the point he sort of highlights is right, that rents will push house prices higher because it's the return on an asset and as the return goes up, the price of the asset goes up, people are willing to pay more to own it. That's one factor that drives house prices. Interest rates and credit is the other big factor that drives house prices. And with lower interest rates, which we saw through COVID, that's, that really sparked a, a lift in house prices. Mm. And that's sort of the big separation between rents and houses is that you, you don't take out a mortgage to pay the rent. Oh, people might have to now, though. They might. <laughs> prices true. keep going the way they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> forget, forget home ownership. That house, that <laughs> ship has sailed. <laughs> yeah. Now your people, young people will be taking out a mortgage just to pay their <laughs> weekly rent. The credit doesn't affect what people are able to pay in rents. Mm. But what does what has contributed seemingly is is government spending programs that, that funneled money into household pockets. And that seems to have created a bit of competitive pressure in the rental market. Um, and that's pushed up house uh, rental prices. And it, it was kind of interesting, like one of the first thoughts that a lot of analysts had when COVID hit and the borders closed is that immigration was down and that's going to result in a smaller population than otherwise would have been the case and that Mm. would create downward pressure on rents but we didn't see that at all and in fact rents exploded were these the same idiots that said that house prices were going to drop by 30 percent as well and they all took up took off over 50 percent yes yeah yeah yeah, idiots. I was one of those idiots, though. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think no one, no one anticipated the scale of the government response to COVID and how effective yeah. it would be. But yeah, but it's it's still interesting that we have had such a boom in house prices, and it seems to be the case that we just expanded. We had we mm. just spread out more, and we had fewer people in the same number of dwellings, and that created upward pressure on rents. And then you had the move, the flow of people into the regions, which created huge booms in rental prices in the regions. Right. So it's not that it's not that there's more people looking to to buy houses uh, to rent houses. It's that there's fewer people per house because everyone like people are spreading out. And I, I made the point mm. once before, like after COVID and after lockdowns, everyone was like, "I'm so sick of you. I'm mm. leaving and going." You know, there's probably relationship breakdowns all over the place, people mm. just splitting up and going different ways and doing different things, whether that's a marriage or a friendship or whatever. Yeah. And now they're also changing where they're, they're renting. Is that mm. what you're saying? So there wasn't, there's not as much supply in the remote or rural areas where people might, might be moving to now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we did see populations growing in the regions. Yeah, that's why. Mm. I mean, that's why sort of Melbourne and Sydney are, are high relative to the other capitals. But still, like 2% is not that high in the scheme of things. Mm. And particularly given it's concentrated in the high-rise sector, when you get out into the suburbs, it's probably, yeah, getting below 1%. Mm. So, yes, yeah, so it's still a bit of a puzzle why people don't want to live together why share houses aren't starting up or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 curious. <laughs> Is it a puzzle why people don't want to gather together inside <laughs> inside confined spaces, Thomas, during a pandemic? Is that a puzzle? Well, it is it is when the alternative is paying twelve percent more on rent. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like normally when rents rise, that sort of that brings people closer together they don't want to you know they want to find ways to cut rent they sort of pack more people into mm. into a house or something so it's kind of like it seems to be interesting that people are going like oh whatever i'm just going to pay the extra extra 10 percent and mm. get away from you bozos <laughs> <laughs>
All right, Thomas, finally, business confidence is sky high. What's going on? Yeah, business confidence picked up, up 19 points in the uh, Roy Morgan uh, business survey. This is the biggest jump since the pandemic started. Businesses, yeah, pretty bullish overall. It's back to pre-Omicron levels and, and they were very high. Hmm. Yeah, so things are looking pretty good. Over three-fifths of the businesses, so 62.3% say they expect good times for the Australian economy over the next year. While the majority, 53.1, say that the next 12 months will be a good time to invest in growing the business. So this has got, this got me all confused, this one, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, if we're getting the end of the, towards the end of the show now. It's not, it's not unusual <laughs> for me to be all sorts of confused. But so business confidence is up, but consumer confidence is down. Mm, that's collapsed now to the lowest level since October 2020. It's taken Makes a no few... Sense few legs down yeah it's actually yeah so these businesses that are selling mm. products and services mm. to people how can they be so confident when the people they're selling things to are like no i have no confidence i'm not ready to buy i don't want to buy and everyone's like this is gonna be a good year for business this is gonna boom <laughs> I think, I think there's a couple of things. One is that not all businesses are retail facing. So you've mm. got like B2C business to consumer and B2B business to business. I don't know what they break down, but not, not all of them are facing consumers. So not all of them swing on how happy consumers are. Right. So that, that might be part of the reason. But I think the other reason is that these household surveys of consumer confidence tend to be pretty connected to the flow of news. So if it's mm. been pretty grim. We've gone straight out of straight out of COVID into a war, major war in the Ukraine, followed by floods, followed by petrol prices on a breakaway. So consumers will be really feeling the pinch. Petrol prices are up about fifty percent on since the start of the year. So mm. there's a lot of bad news for consumers. Like they're really they're they're hurting there. But it's some of those are sort of temporary factors. And you look at the war in the Ukraine in particular, like while it's sort of grim news and it's a terrible human story, for the Australian economy it's actually pretty decent news. Like there's been a broad-based commodity price boom, which is good for Australia. Wheat prices are up like 60 or 70%, mm. which is good for Aussie wheat exporters. So the war has, has these terrible headlines. The actual economic impact on Australia isn't necessarily negative and may actually be positive. So it may be mm. the case that the businesses are responding to that. And I think the other thing right. is that, that the people, when you're asking the businesses these surveys, you're talking to people with hard data to hand. They're watching their sales come in. They know how much cash is on hand in the business. They know what the forward mm. orders book looks like. They're talking to other businesses which have the same handle on the data. It's a, it's a, I think it's a different perspective. They're looking at the sort of numbers within their business and then taking their cue from that. Mm. Whereas consumers are just looking at the headlines and swinging on that. Yeah, right. So businesses are are dealing with the data and consumers are more just going off the feels. They're just like, I'm not feeling great. Whereas businesses are like, don't don't worry about how I'm feeling. I'm looking at the data and the data is telling me this story. Yeah, I reckon. It's interesting you talk about the economy doing well and you hear this a lot. You hear about you know, in the news you hear, oh, this will be good news for the Australian economy. And I always, I can never translate what that means into what that means for me. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. you keep hearing, oh, great, we sold, we're going to sell heaps of wheat. Awesome. Um, that's going to be good for the Australian economy. But then I, you know, I hear about inflation, fuel prices are through the roof. Everything's kind of pointing towards me having less money. 
how does the how does a, a strong economy help the mm. people who are living in it? I have the feeling we talked a little bit about this in our first season with the economic dashboard, and oh, the key- I, I was not in a state to be uh, <laughs> taking on information at that time. <laughs> I was hosting a podcast. I was, like, oh. I was really trying to wrap my head around microphones and all sorts of things. No, we might have done, but that was a long time. That was yeah. over a year ago. Um, yeah. No, but basically like the economy is a proxy for something. So it's sort of representative of stuff that we're interested in, even though itself it's not particularly interesting. When we mean the economy, we're talking typically about GDP, which is how much stuff we're producing. We like mm. that for two reasons. One, if we have more stuff or better quality stuff, we kind of think that means there's a better in, uh, improvement in our standard of living. So we'd like that. But also if we're producing stuff, to produce stuff, we need jobs, we need people working. And so mm. more economic activity translates into more employment, which translates into more jobs and higher wage growth. And those things tend to be mm. are positive. And so when you say, oh, the economy is doing good, kind of the what's hidden in parentheses behind that, which is never stated, is a, which is good for households and jobs and wages. Do you know what right. I mean? Right. That's sort of like the implicit subtext. But not Adam. <laughs> <laughs> but there's nothing here for Adam if he's looking. But it is true. It's, it's, it's a very blunt measure and particularly like when you're talking about like a resource boom or something, that might, that's good for certain sectors of the economy but might not be good for the economy overall or for everyone mm. in the economy. It's, yeah, there's, there's nuance there that is lost. All right, let's leave it there. Um, thank you so much for tuning into the show once again. We really do appreciate it. Uh, don't forget you can check out all the other great shows from Equity Mates Media. Uh, get started investing, Equity Mates Investing Podcast, You're in Good Company, Talk Money to Me, Crypto Curious, and Thomas, Massive News. Uh, mm. Equity Mates are just about to launch their eighth podcast three times a week. Wow. Our super producer, Sasha, is going to be bringing you a new show called The Dive, bringing you the stories that matter, including broader perspective uh, and leaving the jargon at the door, which is uh, what Equity Mates is, is now, I think, famous for is talking to you straight uh so yeah it's going to be lots of fun uh it should be in your podcast feeds now so go and subscribe have a listen to the trailer but that's it for us for another week we look forward to talking to you again next week after the budget on tuesday have a an amazing budget night if that's your thing thomas budget night plans oh no i'll be glued to the television at home absolutely (laughs) (laughs) me too all right thanks again we will talk to you soon bye for now Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.